3: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. I'm your host, Danny. come to you for episode 129. We're getting into the 100s fast and furious like Dom Toretto and the rest of the fast family. So if you want to listen to this one as well as our previous episodes, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to leave us a rating, preferably with five stars and potentially a review, uh, since those always help us and spread the word of what we're doing here. So we're a little short-handed this week as we come to you a few days before Christmas and a few hours. After a fairly exciting World Cup final. So let me bring in here Samuel Pressie. Sam.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that sure was something.
3: Yes. Yes, it was.
2: You know, after being so used to watching Juventus games that just plod <laughs> along for the last couple of years, it th- that was just like enthralling from a from a neutral standpoint.
3: Yes. And it, it's ironic because, and we'll, we'll get to this, but uh, our old buddy Didier, he was, Seemed like he was fairly happy to set up his team to plot along today, and then all of a sudden things changed. So,
1: we've also got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Hey, good evening. Uh, was that a, a a hint of you to, uh, or a request rather, to come up with the eleventh or twelfth installment of the Fast and
2: Furious? Uh, oh, series? I know, already know they're a,
3: coming.
1: I mean, you never know. It's uh,
3: <laughs> never, never have enough of this. In one way or another, they're coming.
2: They make so much flipping money. Like, here's here's the thing. All those people that always talk about how, you know, as somebody who's in the entertainment industry, I, I, I am a trained actor. And the the idea that, you know, Hollywood guides the zeitgeist is bull. <laughs> because the people who make the decisions about what movie gets made are motivated solely by how much money that movie can make. And so we are giving all y'all what you want because that's what makes the money.
1: You know, it's funny. It, it's a very brief tangent here before we get into the important stuff. But um, I uh, took a class once in uh, during my master's on the economics of, uh, I think it was called the economics of entertainment, I want to say it was. But anyway, we briefly uh, looked at just the economics of, like, movies and stuff. And it was very interesting. I mean, you know, just the nature of the good or product that is movies. It's just unlike other products and services that we have, We only know the quality of a movie only after consumption, which is makes it such a unique good. Like, you know, most we know generally the quality of it before consumption. But that's the only one that we we don't know it until after consumption. And then that makes it. uh, Yeah, this is very interesting theory. It just makes movies uh, naturally more risk averse because, you know. You just don't like you, literally, you just don't know what it's going to be. So, yeah, it was very interesting. It was, uh, it was kind of interesting, but anyway, on to the important stuff. Risk averse, kind of like Didier Deschamps' tactics today, right, Chucks? Yeah, yeah, very, uh, surprising. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a segue.
2: Honestly, I don't know how much that was. And I'll jump it. Uh, I'm sorry to jump the intro on that, but I don't know how much of that was Didier Deschamps tactically and Argentina just showing up in France, not
3: well, I, I think France has shown. Maybe not to the same extent as previous years, but I think they have shown they're okay with trying to absorb pressure and try and wreak havoc. I guess through that number ten of theirs, that's pretty good. And I don't know. I th- I think it was kind of like you said. It's a. Com- it might have been a combination of the two, where France wanted to sit back, but Argentina was just so good in the first half that there was no other choice than to do that. But Obviously, we're we're very much in in the depths of the World Cup final already, as we uh, noted on our site there. There was a couple of there was going to be a Juventus World Cup champion, regardless of who won today. Uh, we got two of them rather than one of them, and uh, ironically, <laughs> I mean it, it's just it just makes me laugh every time I think about. It, is that the the guys who were in the World Cup final from Juventus might not even be Juventus players in a few months, <laughs> but. Yeah.
2: One of them might not even be a Juventus player when play resumes because you know Di Maria's got his got his medal now. Do you think he's just going to say, "All right, I want to go back to Rosario"? Or well, you know, he's
3: got that that Europa League draw that is, uh, you know, yeah, right. It it must be hard to turn down, right? So oh, yeah, uh, tempting, <laughs> tempting, 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 tempting. <laughs> yeah, play, playing uh, What what is. Uh, Sixteenth or seventeenth in in league on this year, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah, not, not, so, sorry. So Juventus got got their winner with the, the aforementioned Di Maria and uh, Leandro Paredes. Uh, Paredes not exactly the best tournament, which, knowing his Juventus form, probably wasn't all that surprising. But uh, overall, uh, you know, I, I've listened to a few podcasts in between. Uh, you know the the final whistle sound or the final PK being taken, and then us recording here and uh, very much the, the greatest world cup final ever has been thrown out there more than a few <laughs> times. Uh, obviously we're not of the age to go back a whole lot, but I can, I can say this. I am glad I was a neutral today because if this was happening in 2006, I had already experienced one PK shootout with Italy and France. If this was Italy and France or somebody else, whatever, ah, oof, I don't know.
2: I was, a uh, I I remember, as a 16 year old watching that shootout and when pirlo scored the first penalty kick one of the guys that was so we had some friends over one was an italian american man that my dad had known for a very long time and the other were two was a, an italian man and his young son they were from milan and they were in the in the us for his work and they went to our church that's how we knew them and the the guy that my dad's old friend when pirlo hit the first Penalty kick, ran out of my living room, did a lap around my dining room table, and then came back to the couch. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was in my college apartment,
3: which was not very big, and my my roommate for the summer he took home his our main TV, which was downstairs. So I was watching on. Uh, I I would assume from what my memory is telling me right now, a screen that is no bigger than the laptop screen I'm looking at right now. So I'm looking at, you know, a tiny World Cup broadcast to begin with. I'm all alone in my apartment, probably people in the complex because it's summertime. So the windows are open. They're probably what the hell I'm yelling about. And yeah, I mean, once that PK started, I mean, I'm surely a lot like the person you were mentioning, Sam, just absolutely losing it. And that was after hundred and something minutes of. Yeah of of extra time and regular
2: time. And Buffon making that crazy save off of Zidane and yeah. And the, the thing that, that sticks out in my mind about this final not just as much or more than the penalty kicks and the and and all of the, the crazy comebacks and the, the momentum swings was within the last three minutes of extra time, both goalkeepers made absurd saves. Yes. Absolutely crazy. I mean, how how Emmy Martinez got on that that ball by that kid? What uh, their number twelve? What's his name? Um,
1: I think it's no no, 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 no. Or...
2: no, I'm checking it. I, I I like I've never seen this kid before this World Cup. Oh, um, uh, might
1: be Fofana. No,
2: no, Fofana's a Fofana's Oh a no, leader. sorry,
1: Kolomwani. Kolomwani, uh, yeah, uh, that's him. Frankfurt player, yeah, I think pretty sure Frankfurt.
2: Yeah, he that was that was an incredible save. I don't know how he managed it. And just everything about that. And and I and one of the other things that I was saying at the beginning of the, you know, before we we hit record, to watch Killian Mbappe take three penalty kicks in this game <laughs> and to hit them all the exact same spot and just dare one of the better penalty goalkeepers in the tournament to stop them was I mean, Talk about balls, but
3: yeah, I I forget which podcast it was that I was listening to, but they were basically saying that, you know, Emmy Martinez, even before the game kicks off, he wants it to get to PKs just so he can (laughs) stop the PKs.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And up until about the 70th minute of this, of that game, I would not have thought that we would be here talking about this at all. I mean, up until then, this was a routine Argentinian win. And then just one stupid mistake by Nicolas Otamendi to give away that penalty kick.
3: Which he is wont to do.
2: He is, which he is wont to do. And it makes, almost makes me a little bit more, it makes me even more upset than I already am about the fact that Juventus wasn't able to give him any problems whatsoever in the <laughs> Champions League this year. But pulling this man down and giving France that hope for the last 15 minutes And, you know, Argentina are probably really lucky that they didn't lose this game in normal time because the minute that France scored that goal, the momentum hit, the momentum shift, just, it was like a shovel to the face.
3: Yeah, and like we saw in the Champions League, I mean, Kylian Mbappe is just, I mean, it just isn't breaking news by any means, but (laughs) God, he is 23 years old. He's 23 and he's already just this ridiculous as a player. It, It really is
2: amazing.
1: Yeah, just like like you said, just against Juve, I mean, he just, you know, decides the game on his own. And yeah, I mean, it was just a really bizarre, I mean, wonderfully entertaining game, but just a bizarre game. Like, like you said, Sam, I mean, really, Argentina dominated and completely overran France's midfield uh, for, I mean, I don't know, 70, 75 minutes. Uh, yeah, it was pretty routine. I was very impressed. And, and suddenly, just 10 minutes or so of just, yeah, I mean, just two moments, really. Um, One, obviously, just a clumsy moment by Ilta I I think his starting position on that, when he's kind of chasing Golo down, from such a starting position, you're always, like, behind him. I mean, you're just... It's almost impossible not to make a foul. (laughs) Or you let him go, or, uh, yeah. I mean, you kind of... Unless, I don't know, you can extend your leg, hyperextend your leg in some way to somehow get the ball. Um, It was, yeah, kind of a lost cause in that incident. But I think the most... One of the most interesting things from that game was uh, just, like I said, just how Argentina overran France and then how Deschamps, uh, I mean, basically admitted that he got the starting lineup wrong and, you know, pulled out uh, Giroud and um, Dembélé. Well, I mean, OK, Dembélé was, you know,
2: Dembélé had been adamant. abused by Di yeah, mean, yeah. Maria. De Maria
1: was giving him the business.
2: yeah. Hall, yeah
1: <laughs> which uh, you know hey that's uh,
2: yeah you know i mean it was such a naive tackle by him to make the to to concede the opening penalty just yeah, like um, yeah. what, was, what was he thinking there and just Di Maria was torching him every single time. Yeah. Which, you know, it gave rise to a bunch of jokes in, in certain group chats that I'm in about, you know, now he'll then now he'll come back, he'll get a quad injury, and he'll just sit on the, the on honestly. The bed that's the, the, the first
3: that's one of the first things I thought after his goals. <laughs> he might be what available for two, three weeks. We might see him against Caramonese
2: in a couple of weeks and then what?
1: Yeah. Yeah, because he was even on and off injured in this tournament. Yeah, he was. But, he
3: was. Yeah,
2: I think even more impactful than that, that double sub that Deschamps made before the half was, was Kingsley Coman. Yeah. A, a former Juventus. And man, did we miss the put on that one. I mean, we made a tidy profit on him. But An-
3: another guy who hadn't really, like Di Maria, hadn't really done much until yeah. today
2: yeah and although that was a coach's decision because yeah. Coman had had was clearly the second string winger behind uh behind Dembele and Mbappe for the entire tournament but the way that he played really started opening things up at the at the end of the at the end of regulation and i think when he came on that's when france started to pick up the pace a little bit but this was also you know th- through those first 70 minutes i i said i said this on the on the main sv nation slack channel or did somebody else no? I I said it somewhere else after seeing it on that, but I agreed with it. Was this was the first game of the tournament where France really looked like they were missing Paul Pogba and missing uh, Ngolo Kante as well. You know, Rabio, who knows how that illness was still sapping his effectiveness, even though he played into the into extra time. But that midfield just which had been very, very good for the most part. Just like you said, Chuck, was just overwhelmed by by some players that are good, but that I think that France could have, could have slash should have been able to match up with. You know, Rodrigo De Paul has been okay since he left Udinese, but he's hasn't been what he's been cracked up to be at Atletico, and the rest of the Argentine midfield just not quite. You know, they're they're good players, solid players, but I I don't see like a like a Pirlo esque, like that kind of a player that can just dictate in that midfield.
3: Not Leandro Paredes.
2: Leandro, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you talk about Paredes, you know you lose your, you lose your your starting job two games into the World Cup, but at the very least, you know he he buried both of his pens in the shootouts that that Argentina was in, and that counts for something. I mean, just I mean, just look at the way we were talking about Federico Bernardeschi at the at the uh-huh. beginning of last year. After after those two shootouts. But um, but yeah, he overall, he did not play well. Like you said, Danny, I mean, at, you know, the obligation to buy him is off the table because that obligation was dependent on us qualifying for the round of 16 in the Champions League. Obviously, we did not. And with the option that they still have, it doesn't look like the team is particularly interested in picking it up. And with unhealthy Maria highly unlikely to be at Juventus or anywhere else in Europe at the end of this season, you know, Juventus had their, their two world cup winners, but like you said, they're very unlikely to be Juventus players by the, uh, by the beginning of the summer.
3: Yeah. And then we, uh, we all know what's going on with, with Rabiot and his contract extension and how much, yeah. uh, how much mom gent is, is asking for his new salary. So yeah, it, it's, it's weird. You know, you look at some of the other, other players in this, World Cup, and I mean, obviously, you know, somebody like Paulo Dybala is going to be at Roma for a little while, and some of the other bigger names uh, will. There's another see.
2: one, Paulo. Paulo coming on at the very end of the game for the ice shootout. cold sinks his penalty. Ice cold, <laughs> and and cold is ice taking it too, just going straight down the middle. Yep. And uh, I, I think I read somewhere that in combined World Cup and European Championships. The last six or seven different players who had been sent on, like DiBala was for shootout purposes, had missed their kicks. Yeah, including two last summer during the Euros. And then you know DiBala comes in and just boom, cold. Nineteen minutes of game time plus biggest penalty he's ever taken in his yeah, life.
1: Right, and that was the first time I think that was his first appearance at the World Cup. Even
2: no, he, no. he had come it, on. Uh, he, yeah, come teams.
1: on in the semi-final yeah. oh he did oh, okay so second one yeah. yeah no oh yeah yeah quite a low involvement there during the world cup that day hey. i mean clearly an important one. um yeah. and and you mentioned uh, Coman. uh i was actually i was reading an article in the dutch news actually where they kind of put a spotlight on uh, come on and super interesting this uh, apparently he they so they looked at how many games he completed 90 minutes of in basically his career and only in Two seasons has he completed 90 minutes more than 10 times? <laughs> and I was in 2015, 2016 with Byron uh, 15 times, and then 2019, 2020, 12 times. For the rest, it's just like two, four, nine, seven, five. Like he barely, I mean, he's basically like his career is one of just either injured, injured or super sub, which is, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh I thought that was a. Kind of a curious little stat there uh, about him, but hey, I mean, oh, and then the, the narrative of that articles as well was like, you know, he's barely completed ninety minutes like consistently throughout his career, but he's won so much, obviously with the he won you know a bunch of titles, and then with Bayern, and well with France too. So um, yeah, just kind of a kind of a funny, uh, fun stat there, and just what uh, one kind of tactical issue from the from the final that I thought was interesting too. i um, going back to that double sub. When he took off, Giroud and uh, Dembélé, which you know, I feel bad for. I feel bad for Dembélé because I mean he's had a good season with Barcelona, and you know, at the end of the last season, also he ended that pretty well, and he's just generally been in really good form uh, in his career. And then, yeah, I mean, just have obviously <laughs> at the one time that it really mattered uh, to have such a just a really bad performance. It, yeah, I, I mean, I just feel bad for him, you know. But hey, I mean, you know, hopefully he comes back from this stronger. Um, but the fact that the Champs took off Giroud, I thought was pretty interesting too, because um, I remember uh, I think I saw him tweet. Uh, oh, I think it was Tim Vickery, actually. Ha uh-huh. ah, um, ha. Yeah. Been a few weeks
3: yeah. since we've heard that name.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, you know, keep you guys on your toes. I <laughs> um, like to mix it up a little. But I think he said something like uh, this is one of the first games in a while that the Griezmann as midfielder slash trequartista problem um, really showed up. Yeah,
2: yeah. He he. That was that was the part. That was the biggest problem.
1: Right, right. And that's why I was surprised that he took off Giroud and not Griezmann.
2: Yeah, I I think I think taking off Giroud had to do with reducing the reference points in the front and giving Mbappe just freedom to go anywhere he kind of wanted, and eventually that worked out. <laughs> but I, I do agree that I mean, Deschamps even said in his press conference after the match that it. You said the players I took off. You know, I wasn't satisfied with the team as a whole. The players that I took off were not more or less guilty than anybody else about why we were where we are. were at that point. And Dembele, I think he was more, but uh, uh, Giroud, I don't think so. But, you know, for, for Mbappe, I, I think that was all about getting Mbappe more involved. Because Mbappe had had, I think, 11 touches in the first half.
3: Yeah, he, he barely heard his name in the first half. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was it was like watching you. It was like watching Vlahovic play for Juventus. It was uh, <laughs> it was
3: just getting you back for uh, for January, Sam. Getting getting you ready. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But you know that's the interesting thing. It's like Dembele had obviously a terrible you know game, and and people have really gotten on this case about his performance. But I mean, Deschamps is also kind of equally guilty for just. You know, again, making two subs before halftime is basically an admission that you really got it wrong. I think tactically,
2: I don't think that he could have foreseen it, things going quite that way. I mean, this was the lineup that he'd used for pretty much the entire tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah.
2: The only change from this to the their first game was, I think, the swapping of the Hernandez brothers because Lucas got hurt. I think that's really the only change from the opening game from their opening game. So, yeah, I I just I think that he went with with his strongest lineup and Argentina hit it in the mouth and he had to make some changes. And I think it was it was a good I think it was right to make the change when he did. I mean, first off, it sent a message to the team. And second off, when things things aren't working, why wait? You know, when things have gone that badly, there's no point in waiting. You know, it reminded me a little bit of I forget if it was a it was the last group game or if it was a round of 16 game in. 2010, yeah, it was 2010 because that was when that was the last World Cup Bob Bradley had as the U.S. U.S. national team manager. Bob Bradley hauled a, off Maurice Edu, I think it was Maurice Edu, after like half an hour. He was just that displeased with him, and that was and that was obviously well before the days of five subs. So that was an even bigger bigger thing to to pull somebody off in the first half when he's not injured was like an unthinkable thing at that point. It reminded me a lot of that. And it was uh, it was eventually the right call.
0: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean? You don't just go to the beach, you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples Go
1: to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Yeah, and then just a last matter before we move on. Because, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, I don't think anyone could have foreseen, really, that Argentina would have dominated so much. However, I mean, on the other hand, I think, I feel like Deschamps, I mean, kind of should have done his homework because... For example, against Croatia, Argentina against Croatia. Um, you know, Argentina's starting lineup they changed specifically to add an extra midfielder in there because of just how strong Croatia's midfield is. They added, well, Paredes, the much maligned <laughs> Leandro Paredes, and they played basically a, you know, really a kind of a diamond, really of yeah, four central midfielders, which I, I mean I perceive as just reacting to the fact that you know Croatia had such a an amazing central midfield of uh, Kovacic, Brozovic, and um, Modric. So, you know, I mean, I don't know, part of me is kind of like, well, studying your opponent, knowing their strengths, you know, Argentina countered that against Croatia. I don't know, maybe from the start. Of course, it's a big call to make that to change your clearly very successful starting 11 in the final. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you should have been a little more reactive from the start and maybe added an extra central midfielder. And it would have been nice, obviously, in the situation like this to have like a a Conte or a Pogba, but. You know, at least again, it's like on one hand, I criticize him for that. But at the same time, I do commend him for just recognizing it early and just like fixing it right away. Because, you know, it, it does take some courage to take off Well, two of your pretty up to then Like, I mean, obviously, one of them is your all time top scorer for your uh, national team. And the other is, I mean, also pretty good player uh, to take them off before halftime. I mean, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> big move to make. But um, yeah, just a fascinating game overall.
2: I just say before we move on, I have one that th- there is one thing that this result makes me happy about is that and that is that history will always remember that Lionel Messi got his World Cup and Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> did not.
3: Well, bef- it's funny you mentioned that because before the, the World Cup talk ended, I wanted to pose a question to you guys about Lionel Messi and and it's this uh, Messi or Ronaldo. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <kidding. laughs>
1: I will not answer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually did answer. want to <laughs> no. kind of do one last World Cup thing. Of all the 11 Juventus players that were at the World Cup, who do you think had the best World Cup? That's hmm. a good question.
2: Chesney's up there. Yeah,
3: yeah. My, pick, my pick, bias aside, would be Wojciech Chesney. Yeah, Chesney
2: um, has Rab- to be. overall had a, a very good game, yeah. a, a very good tournament. This game, notwithstanding, and again, you have the mitigating factor of him being ill and not, you know, perhaps not being at, at at his best physically at that point in the final. But from from the opener to the quarters, he was he was running rabid,
1: <laughs> rabid, rabio,
2: <laughs> rabid, rabid rabio. <laughs> Yeah, but between those, I, I think it would have to come down to the to those two. And speaking of Chesney, the fact that Emmy Martinez, as good as he was. Won the Golden Gloves over Chesney and especially over Dominic Livakovic, yeah. was kind of stupid.
1: Yeah, that was a and scene. and
2: recency bias at its finest. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah,
3: come on, I, I, w- I would think you'd trust FIFA's judgment on things, Samuel. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, of course. No, but that, it was. I mean, it was in my opinion just plain wrong when yeah. you've got guys like Livakovic and Walsh play I, who. I think played overall better, were better goalkeepers over the course of the tournament, not to say that, that Martinez was bad uh, because he certainly wasn't. I just think that chesney and and especially Livakovic were just that much better, and were, were' just that good over the time that they played in this tournament. I mean, just look at what Chesney did against Argentina. It was insane. So I, I definitely think Woj and 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 Rabio are are your two top guys.
1: Yeah, it's pretty frustrating with those awards that it's it's almost like I get the sense that they make those make the decisions on those awards like you know Golden Glove and all that Golden Ball and what whatnot. Like that they make it basically right after the final whistle and it's of the final. And I mean you would think that they would have like 90% of this decision made before the final and then unless someone does like some like extraordinarily crazy stuff during the final that they basically have their decision made up till like before the final, you know, and it, yeah, it, it definitely feels like they just kind of make it like right after the final. whistle. Like, all right, we'll take Messi. I'm <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, oh, yeah, Amy Martinez, we'll just, we'll give it to him. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, it's got to be, uh, Chesney and, and Rabio, which with us, I would say McKenna is a good shout in third. I think he had a, yeah, honestly, solid tournament
2: did. McKenney did play very well
1: yeah i think he had a good especially just coming about coming off injury as well yeah
2: it's a shame that he wasn't able to play more than 65 70 minutes at a at a stretch yeah. but yeah. he did he did play very very well for the u.s yeah. i think the u.s the u.s low-key had one of the better midfields in the entire tournament
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's uh i think i mentioned it in slack after the the loss against the Netherlands, I thought. I mean, I think the U.S. has a really solid foundation of a team, in terms of backline, just midfield, just really solid spine of the team. Um, I don't think it. You know, the U.S. is m- missing a lot to become like you know that next level team. I really think they missing like they need a number nine. Yeah, yeah, like need a, a nine, good
2: number yeah. nine, and they need uh, and they also they're going to need somebody in center back because I mean the fact that Tim Ream in the year of our Lord 2022, Tim Ream was <laughs> starting for. The U.S. in the back line was a bit of a stunner, and I don't think he's going to be doing that in many more World Cup cycles. But um, And they probably also need a coach who
3: would be able to trust one of his best players.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. that whole thing with Gio Reyna. And well, yeah, yeah, of, <laughs> that yeah,
1: yeah, I kind of <laughs> vaguely followed that.
2: But... And the fact that all of a sudden he, he decided to air that, Burhalter decided to air that laundry. That would not have been a yeah. thing <laughs> by not naming him, but everybody figured out real Every, quick. But everybody knew exactly who it was. That was just such a that was a bad coaching move, in my opinion. It's not something that would make me trust in my coach.
1: No, yeah, it it kind of reminds you of this uh, quote from House of Cards: uh, "Best way to deal with a trickle of doubt is, is with a flood of the naked truth." <laughs> uh, I like that <laughs> Which uh, I mean I don't know there's some sense of it like yeah I kind of kind of get that but I don't know, I, I kind of vaguely follow the whole Geo Reyna thing so I don't I'm not yeah. too informed on it.
3: Well we we won't turn this into a Geo Reyna show say that three times <laughs> fast. Uh, we'll leave that over to the uh, Bruce D. Dortmund blog and their podcast. But uh, we, we will transition into a, a few Juventus things, especially since, hey, they actually played a game. I know it was a, a game in which it felt like about three senior team players were called up, but they had a game and they actually played a good team in, in Arsenal, which had more regular senior team players than Juventus did, that's for sure. So, you know, a few hours after the, the third place game in the World Cup was played, Juventus Head over to the Emirates. They got a two nothing win on a pair of own goals. Although I think Samuel Ayling probably deserves at least more of a goal than than the first one that obviously Granite Shaka put into the back of his own net. But obviously it was a chance excellent to see- header too. Yes, it was <laughs> <laughs> fantastic header. Just completely different direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, we saw a lot of youngsters, a lot of guys that I'm guessing, unless you follow the uh, the next gen folks were looking up and wondering who the heck number 49 was or 51 or 53. Unfortunately for me, I had JTV problems the entire afternoon. So I, or the entire morning. So I couldn't, I think everyone
1: did. Yeah. Yeah, JTV
3: worldwide. They, they advertised it being free. And then all of a sudden if the stream was free, I wouldn't have known about it even (laughs) though I am a JTV subscriber (laughs) because there just wasn't a stream coming up. So, I'll leave it to you guys. Whatever you want to take away from, from the match, other than, you know, hey, the, the guys who were who were injured and the arguably the biggest names on the team weren't there because they're back in Turin, either not risking injury or because they're rehabbing injury.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you send out a bunch of teenagers and you play the team that's leading the English Premier League, and, and like you said, Danny, who were playing a lot more regulars than we were, and you win two-nothing. Regardless of how you got the goals, I mean that is impressive, even for a friendly. I was just kind of expecting, for so for so often you Italy are starting so late in the summer when it comes to their preseason, as opposed to everybody else. Usually, when they get to the friendlies, they're two or three weeks behind everybody else, and they get shellacked because everybody else is a couple of weeks ahead, and they're you know they they've already ramped up, whereas Juve are starting from zero, and I was kind of expecting something akin to that but you know the kids went to an opposing stadium and did a pretty damn good job I was unable to see the game live but what I what I did see in in post-game highlights I I liked what I saw from fajoli I I mean it's been about three years that I've liked pretty much everything I've seen from fajoli but uh <laughs> I I continue to I continue to stand him hardcore I think I think I, I've come upon my my next large adult son in that regard.
3: Yeah, I, I think the record is is pretty well established there.
2: Yeah, and uh, uh, also just just to you know to see Samuel Illing Jr. continue to play the way that he did, I can see him having a a major part to play in the second half of the season coming off the the wing, especially if if Unhealthy Maria continues to be unreliable.
1: Yeah, I mean, are, like you said, Danny, there's not really too many solid takeaways we can bring away from or bring from the yeah, friendly, given just the lineup. Other, other and, than Daniele
3: you know. Rugani being captain, it's too bad Sergio's in here because I'm sure <laughs> that, yeah. that would be the first thing he
1: talked about this week. The man, the myth, the legend, Daniele right. Rugani, and Sergio Romero, also the man, the myth, and the legend. Yeah, I think really the only semi-conclusive uh, takeaway that I would have from the uh, from the friendly was. Um, you know, I was kind of watching Federico Gatti, and I mean, overall, I think he did fine. But I think there was at one point where I don't have to look up his name because I remember he sounded Nigerian. Uh, oh yeah, Ethan Waneri. I remember, I remember him because I was like, oh yeah, he sounds Nigerian. <laughs> um, but you know, he came, he came on the last uh, twelve minutes or so, and uh, he really gave uh, Gatti a really difficult time. I thought, you know, he it was just a small kind of tricky winger that, yeah. I remember there was one point where Gatti almost gave away a penalty on him and it just it really was just twisting and turning inside out. And yeah, I, I think I was just, when I was looking at that, I was thinking, okay, Gatti, you know, how how well can he handle those like small center of gravity, you know, kind of winger-ish or secunda punta strikers. And, you know, maybe he's not, I mean, I don't want to say like, okay, he's conclusively ready or not ready for the first team, but I think he's, yeah, I mean he's still obviously developing, and I mean he's still so young, and we have to remember. Just, I think that's also one thing that it's easy to get caught into, just thinking, okay, this player's in Juventus team, and you know, semi like on the starting lineup ish once in a while. Okay, he's ready right now to be number one, like center back or or a player for Juve, and it's like, you know, we I think we just got to remember just the development phase of uh, of a lot of players. I think you know, speaking of like. Players like Kylian Mbappe, we see players like that that basically, like, were top superstars at the age of twenty, and we think, okay, that's the norm, which obviously it's not, right? Like, it, that's those are wild exceptions. Player players like Mbappe, so I had to catch myself, kind of, exercise some patience with Gatzi and think, okay, you know, he's still young, he's still developing, and he might not be, he might still struggle for, you know, Juventus' live level of play. But, I mean, he's, you know, he'll get there. And i don't think, like I said, I don't think, oh, he's absolutely not ready or absolutely is ready. I think it's just he's still developing. And, I mean, I think he'll just need to still be mentored by, yeah, players like, I mean, I guess Bonucci, but I don't know. He's kind of on the decline. But just in terms of, you know, seniority and just saying, like, okay. I mean, obviously, Bonucci still had great times during his career. So he's still a good mentor. Yeah, just be mentored by players like that and just... Take our time with him, and yeah, just remember he's not the finished product yet, and still has some some way to go.
3: Yeah, I mean we we get caught up in the meteoric rise of Federico Gatti sometimes, but you forget that this these are his first experiences in top flight football. I mean he you know he went lower division up a rung, you know each year the last few years, but it wasn't so long ago that he was playing in the third division of Italian football. So you, it's not exactly the same as facing yeah well short handed facing Arsenal or facing any of the big clubs in Italy for that matter. So while he's not as young as say the Moretti's and Fagioli's of the world, in terms of top flight experience, he's just as experienced as those guys are, maybe even a little less because he's not, especially lately, he's not playing as much as them. So, yeah, I mean, he's, this year is very much a learning year for him. And, you know, hopefully next year is when we kind of see that talent that allowed him to move up so quickly, Uh, you know, Really, kind of truly show itself rather than kind of you know sporadic moments that we've we've seen so far this season.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, he just he just seems to struggle just with that small, tricky winger. Yeah, I mean player. he's a
3: big
2: and, dude. You know, of course, he's, he's going a to struggle. with dude, bit. like that's.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that and that's the thing that contrast you know, that sizes again, that center of gravity kind of thing. It's uh, yeah, like
2: it's it, like yeah. I'm not surprised that he he has a, a, a slight issue dealing with guys like that. He's huge. And yeah. he he doesn't have the same kind of turning radius, right?
3: Yeah, not every yeah. big center back is is like Bremer, who can you know, who is just a, a mountain of a man, but can also move pretty quick.
1: Yeah. Or de Ligt,
3: or de Ligt. Although we didn't see that much at the World Cup, now did we, Chuck? Ha-ha! No,
1: no, no, no. He's not really. Uh, yeah, he's really not first place for the Dutch. Uh, not been for a while, really. Didn't, he, I'll didn't say one of least... his
3: few appearances at the World Cup be at right back?
1: Yeah, or right center back ish. Yeah, kind of a pseudo right back, right center back ish. Yeah,
2: yeah, because Van Hall was going on the back three. So
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like I said, I, I would say
1: at least since the Euros, uh, the Euro twenty twenty one. I guess since then, he really hasn't been first first place in the team.
3: Yeah. So uh, we got that friendly going on, and then we've also got a bunch of injuries uh, as 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 part of the reason why. The squad was so much had so many young players in it that we didn't necessarily recognize. Um, I mean, obviously Federico Keza had has had his little muscle fatigue injury again. Uh, Leonardo Bonucci is dealing with a, an adductor injury. Dusan Vlaovic has a groin injury. Paul Pogba's knee injury is still very much a thing as he's yet to return even to partial training uh, after his setback a few weeks ago. Or a few months ago, at this point, since it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's, late,
2: it's getting to be late yeah. December. I, I don't want to say I told you so with yeah, that one, I, but it's just, I,
3: I, just these injuries. I mean, even when Juventus doesn't play, they have injuries at
2: this I mean, point. And, and like just... it, it does seem like he is, it was held out purely as a precaution, and yeah. that he is likely to be ready for Cremonese. Certainly, maybe even uh, given a trot out in the next friendly. When is the next friendly again? I think it's a couple of days after christmas I we have a second so. friendly yeah
1: i didn't know we did actually i <laughs> um, thought honestly. we had one uh i'm checking live score it what? says only game against k-monese pardon i um, i know that
3: i know that they wanted to schedule more than one friendly and i feel like there's another one coming like you said out right after christmas essentially so
2: yeah because i i know that um uh, in his press conference allegri kept on pointing out december 27th and i d- i don't know why he'd be pinpointing that particular date if there wasn't something going on yeah interesting but uh but yeah chiesa is it look it, by all accounts sounds like he'll be ready for when the games start again you know and bonucci i mean bonucci is kind of been reduced to a squad player the last month or so of the season but it's it's the pogba stuff that just Face palm, head desk. I don't know. Tennis racket head. I don't know what the heck. <laughs> yeah, I Any
1: mean, solid objects. It, <laughs> it just, just keeps getting the,
3: the that return date just keeps getting pushed back, or the reported return date, I should say, because we don't yeah. really we don't really hear much from Juventus in terms of Paul Pogba updates these days. It's like you know, like Chiesa, you'd be ready for the beginning of January, and then it's like, okay, well, Chiesa is very much shooting for Cremonese to be kind of up to full speed, full speed. And then Pogba, maybe Juve Napoli. Now it's maybe after Juve Napoli, and then it's maybe the end of January. And it's just like,
2: at this point, it's like, dude, <laughs> it's all his damn. It's all his own damn fault. If he would just gotten the surgery at the beginning, there's nothing. Then this probably wouldn't have. He probably made it worse when it, while while he was trying to rehab it.
1: Yeah, I mean, who kn- yeah, who knows? Obviously, the surgery thing that was just a. Big blooper. I mean, just you like know him
2: and I mean between him and Di Maria, we've got what seventeen million in salary, and that's after taxes. That have done next to nothing except sit in the trainer's room.
3: Yeah, your biggest name in terms of summer signings has not played a single
2: minute, and your second biggest is. You know how in was he truly that in, that injured that much, or was he just kind of stretching <sighs> it out for this?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm in, I'm not inclined to like, you know, sus- suspect any foul play on that sense, especially because, you know, suspect before it. World Cup, <laughs> suspect it. <laughs> uh, I know, it's uh, it's, neat, it's 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 tempting, but uh but no, I mean, especially with the World Cup, I mean, you want to have some match fitness going into the World Cup. You want to, you know, have a few games kind of under your belt and not come into it cold. So, uh, I mean, I inclined to believe that he really was injured. And again, I mean, during the world cup, he's on and off injured. So, you know, I, yeah, I'm inclined to believe that. And, and like I said, with, with, with yeah, I'm not even that, I mean, yes, I'm irritated by his injury issues, but I'm slightly less irritated because again, it was one year deal. And with Pogba Francis, we knew like we knew dude how much dude was injured and just how injury prone he was, and like, and I remember even saying before we signed him, like, okay, I'm okay with having him or signing him to the team, but given the risk of injury, the salary should just be much less, just to compensate for that risk of, yeah, the injury proneness. And well, obviously, neither of that happened. So well, here we are. But so again, with Demare, I'm a, I'm a little more like just less frustrated on it, but with Pogba, yeah, I mean, come on, it's like, I just feel like with Pogba, come on, we knew this was, like, there was such a strong probability that this was gonna happen, and, yeah, you know, obviously, again, the whole surgery thing that, okay, that,
2: you know, and he just made it that. worse on his own, yeah, funny.
1: but still, I just feel like, in general, we we absolutely could have seen this coming, and, yeah, here we are, so, it's, yeah, extremely frustrating.
3: And I mean it's just like I mean, obviously it's allowed, you know, in hindsight, it's allowed somebody like a Fajoli or a Moretti to get more playing time than they probably would have if Pogba was healthy. But you know, Juventus didn't bring Paul Pogba in just to show up at training a few days a month and <laughs> and not play a single minute. I mean, as much as we use it as a punchline, Paul Pogba was not brought in to try and attract fans to the
2: Las Vegas friendly. I'm sorry, I was there, but you know, hey. <laughs> But yeah, it just sucks. It sucks, and there's also you also have to consider the knock-on effect that, that that this has on any potential movement Juventus has in the winter transfer window, because with with Pogba, if Pogba has not recovered, you can't necessarily take a little bit of money off of Rabiot as an expiring contract. You can't sell Weston McKenney as a saleable asset to to try to get somebody from another for another part of the team because you're going to need those bodies in midfield if Pogba's not going to be able to go. And unless you have a really good idea of when you're going to get him back, you have to keep one or both of those guys on the roster in order to have the proper depth. So you're not going to be able to run the, you know, if there is a normal January transfer window given all the the financial stuff that still has not been resolved. But if you were to assume that the, that Juventus would be operating in a cash-strapped but relatively normal manner in the January transfer window, you can't move those guys on right now because you need the bodies in midfield.
1: Thankfully, at least just on the injury front, at least McKennie is fit, like properly fit, so that you know.
2: I'd say he is now, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's.
1: But yeah, I mean, doesn't doesn't change just how just frustrating just the whole football thing is, but at least you know. Again, we have that, and like you said, the youngsters doing well. Miranti and Fagioli doing well, but but hey, I mean, you know, we didn't put Pogba on to be a, a cheerleader for Fagioli and Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, it's a lot expensive cheerleader. So, to put a bow on this
3: episode, should we go to Juventus uh, conspiracy corner for a minute here? Yeah, hey, sure uh, I've always, been there. Right, this, this I've just always po- been there. This just popped in my head since uh, essentially as as we are. Thinking, even though he's a favorite of Max Allegri, we kind of thought at the beginning of the year that that left-sided midfielder would be Paul Pogba and then uh, Adrian Rabiot uh, filling in for him. Paul Pogba got hurt so that Adrian Rabiot could thrive, get a big payday, and now Paul Pogba is going to come back uh, and replace his fellow countrymen. And then all of a sudden, he's going to be the Pogba of old. So there you go. There's a conspiracy theory that just popped into my head. Welcome to JNN. On the old lady species. Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a cap on things with this, though. About two hundred and fifteen days, guys. We're going to be world cupping all over again. That's right. Go for it, ladies.
3: That's right. And there's actually going to be an Italy squad in it.
2: Yeah. Time
1: difference is going to be a little uh, tricky, though. Yeah,
3: that's going to be upsetting. It's like Eighteen hours or something. Yeah. It's, for me, oh, the should... schedule that I Italy's first game, the Italy women, their first game is at eleven p.m. That's like right let's right as I'm unwinding Jeez. from work. So, you know what? Oh, my God, my, my 3 to 10:45 work schedule is perfect for the Women's World Cup this summer. Oh my. Wow. Well, there you go. That's why that's why <laughs> hey, Chucks, I tell you, you know, you you like where you live, but sometimes living here on the West Coast is is pretty good for watching sporting events. Because like after after Juventus depresses you on a on a Sunday morning, you still got the rest of the day to go. Oh, wow. I just
2: I I, I haven't looked at that group for a re- I haven't looked at that group for a really long time. That's a really winnable group for Italy. Yes it is. Well well oh, well maybe not winnable with Sweden in there, but an advance uh, an yeah, a group that they can advance out of really easily. Yes. Is Argentina and Argentina is not yeah, The, the same. Argentina women are not as
3: as strong as the Argentina men.
2: And and South Africa as as unfortunate as it is, the the you know, the South African and South American and African nations just don't ha- put mo- and you know, the- money is not put into those squads. They have talented women there, but they're not. They don't put money into those squads, and they're just and and it shows. I remember thinking in the last Women's World Cup, I think it was Cameroon, that that all the women there were were looked really talented, but they just didn't have the proper proper everything else around them to 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 be good as a team.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at the times that these. Games are kicking off. My God, for me anyway. Yeah, uh, well, for you and <laughs> as well. 10 yeah. p.m. Um, 10 p.m. Uh, well, I'm seeing one 1 a.m., 1:30 a.m., 10:30 p.m., 3:30 a.m., 5:30, 8 a.m. I still do that. But
2: Italy Women says from here it's
1: they they all they
2: all they are all listed at 10 p.m. for me on one app anyway. I don't know if that's right. Oh, I'm looking live score. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking on Forza. Oh okay. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah, so, This is yeah.
3: thrilling, thrilling podcast stuff. Everybody looking at their schedules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll wrap things up for today. Thank you all for, for listening. We always appreciate it. Uh Again, I will need to have a talk with the guy who sends out the tweet for Twitter questions. Apparently, he should have taken advantage <laughs> of everybody being on Twitter earlier today, live tweeting the World Cup and actually sent something <laughs> out uh then rather than. Oh, right as we hit record. So we'll we'll have we'll have a discussion. We'll get to the bottom of the issue. But uh if you do want maybe to maybe Elon follow... banned him. That's right. <laughs> Don't
1: give maybe Elon banned. Yeah, Battle journalists, man. That's right.
3: <laughs> uh if you want to send in Twitter questions and follow us there, feel free to do so at Juventus Nation is on the Twitter machine. Follow us there and Facebook at black and white and red all over. Same search tool for your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to leave us a nice five-star rating or a review or both. So for Sam, for Chucks, for Sergio, and producer Couch, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening. And we're still figuring out our holiday schedule, so we'll come to you sometime with a year in review, either next week or the week after. Talk to you later.